Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. It is big game week as LSU comes to the swamp to take on Florida. In one of this week's top games, we have a jam-packed Gators Breakdown with Jackie Franchuli from Gators Territory. Coming on for some Gators talk and from the LSU side of things, Brody Miller of NOLA.com to preview the Tigers. But before we get started, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You will find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the news for jacks sports team. That is news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Also, listen on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and now we're on Spotify as well. So when using those services, please share rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And as I mentioned, our first guest tonight on this episode is Jackie Franchuli from Gators Territory on the Rivals.com network. Jackie, thank you so much for joining me here on Gators Breakdown. Thanks for having me today, David. Yeah, of course. It's um, big game week, as I, as I mentioned. It's always a uh, Fun, exciting time when LSU and Florida get together, and you know some notes that the uh, the Gators have been sending around, you know, this week to uh, around to us of uh, previous sixty four matchups of the series. Either the the Gators or the Tigers have been ranked, entering fifty two of them. Florida holds a 26, 24 and two record in those matchups, and then Saturday will be the thirteenth time in the last fifteen meetings both teams entered the game nationally ranked. Jackie, it's a, it is a big game when these two teams get together. And we definitely know it's a heated matchup. Oh, yeah, definitely. We, we've already saw it in a couple of interviews this week. You know, Trevin Grimes saying that he was friends with quarterback Joe Burrows. They were talking a lot when they both were at Ohio State. Then he quickly said that he had full faith in his defense to stop him. Um, he even made a couple of snide little remarks about it. So, um, so yeah, it, it's a heated rivalry. These guys do not like to lose to each other. Um, the real DBU, the arguments go back and forth. Uh, the Florida defensive backs made it quite clear who the real DBU was. Um, so, yeah, definitely a lot of bulletin board materials for both sides. Um, Florida – you know, last year lost by one point, and they're really sour about that. You know, losing in front of their home crowd. They don't want to do that again this year. And obviously, LSU hated the fact that Florida won the SEC East title in that Hurricane Matthew game in Baton Rouge last year. So obviously, these teams are kind of trying to get revenge in one or the other every single time they play. Jackie, that is one thing uh, I won't forget that that Hurricane Matthew game, you know, because I, I was here. Yeah, I had to go out to, you know, for, for the news station I worked for, I had to cover, you know, a lot of hurricane coverage and you know, destruction and all that stuff. And it's just the way that uh, they reacted to the, to, to, the, to the game being moved and Florida wanted to dodge them and then ended up getting a win. Uh, there was a. There was some sweet victory in that one. <laughs> no, it, it definitely was. I, I never quite understood the reaction of the Tigers. What did he assume? Just to let, let's stop the hurricane just for the game. You know, it's, uh, I don't understand what their reaction was. Let's play through a natural disaster. Come on, guys. All right, Jackie, uh, you know, I was uh, on uh, uh, Gators territory. You, you, uh, you know, got a hold of me and, and for an article that you're going to release uh, sometime soon here. And uh, you asked me the question, and it's also a, a a question I asked my co-host Will 
uh, also. And uh, so I gave my point of view uh, on your show, and I'd like to get your thoughts on here as well. It's kind of the identity uh, of this team. We've seen some something different from week to week, and I, I think we know the identity of the defense right now. But what's your thoughts on the offense? I think right now I don't see Florida fitting into one particular identity as far as how they scheme up their offense. I think basically their identity is they will mold their offense so they can put their strengths out against your weaknesses when it comes to the other opponent's defenses while hiding their weaknesses. I think Mississippi State was a big example of that. Florida was able to hide their weaknesses on the offensive line, but able to throwing the ball to the outside on screens to their wide receivers because they realized the defense wasn't going to really put too much pressure on the wide receivers on the line of in the line of scrimmage. So they were able to enter Mississippi State while still hiding their own weakness. I think that's what the identity of Florida is right now. Degan Mullen is trying to adapt each game, and they're just going to win in different ways. I think Kadarius Tony actually had a quote in that regard after the win against Mississippi State. Is basically their offensive identity is they're going to change how they play every single game because they they want to they want to win and they're going to change how they play in order to do that. I think that's what they are right now. And I think that's something that we haven't seen Florida do in a while. I think under Jim McElwain, the offense was always, I'm going to just play what scheme I want, not into consideration the personnel. And I think Dan Mullen is really now in areas so that they could succeed. And that's what we're seeing they were able to win this year. All right, then uh, part of that offense as well and still a big topic for fans is the running back rotation. And you know, Jordan Scarlett gets the bulk of the carries. He's the starter. Um, I think part of it is you go look at a lot of the important pass blocking that he does, but fans love the the big-time impact, of course, that Damian Pierce has brought and the nickname, the closer there. And the Michael Piran, steady as, as steady as he can be right now. How do you see this running back rotation uh, work, working out, and is it – is it something we we the way we see it now? Do we expect that to to kind of play out through the rest of the season? Expect this to play out exactly how we're seeing it right now. Um, I know a lot. I, even I, I actually was trying to get the Pierce posse kind of get started on Twitter. <laughs> I really love Damian Pierce. I love him as a recruit, and I thought he was an excellent get. By um, at that point, it was Tim Skipper who was his you know recruiting guy, and then obviously. Dan. did a great in the class um all that and he reads blitzes pretty well i think florida is going to keep him as your number one guy yes he's not as effective as a runner as some of the other guys i like michael pierren i think michael pierren is probably the most effective runner um but i still think florida would use jordan scarlett to help out any deficiencies they have on the offensive line so they can go out and you know become more of a balanced offense um, saying that LaMichael Piran is the type of guy that I would go after for more for more snaps because he is such an efficient runner. When he does run, he doesn't dance around as much as Jordan Scarlett would do. Um, and that's something that I like about LaMichael Piran better. Uh, Damien Pierce is a great closer. Um, he is very fast. Once he finds the gap, he will go and he will get you those huge chunks of guard, yards, especially when you're trying to, you know, kill a game off. Like in Mississippi State, you have the lead. You want a guy to do that so you can kind of take the time off the clock. So I expect it kind of staying the same way before just because from what you hear from Dan Mullen, what you hear from how the staff kind of approaches games, they're going to have the guy who's a complete package. Jordan Scarlett is a better blocker compared to the other two guys so he's a complete package that they're looking at a running back but michael pierre is your efficient runner he'll come in on and damian pierce will close out so i think that's how we're going to see it still as the season goes on all right jackie franchuli of gators territory joining me here on gators breakdown of course jackie it starts with felipe franks uh when when this offense goes and he's Trans, I'd say a little a bit of a transformation from what we've seen. Is it, is it Heisman numbers or, or throwing for 300 yards a game? Absolutely not. But we can see him getting better week by week, fitting into whatever game plan uh, Dan Mullen comes up with. Is it perfect by any means? No. Can he get better? Absolutely. But when we go and look at where he came from, from a year ago, and the coaching that he's getting and the coaching that he's taking in, he is a much better quarterback than what we saw you know, this time a year ago. What have you seen from him on and off the field that makes you think that he can, or that he can keep this going week by week? 
so much negativity on social media for Felipe Franks. Um, he is usually the reason why fans kind of blame on anything going wrong when it comes to Florida. And I will say he is taking it in stride. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I've seen Franks grow is mentally. And that's why I brought up all the stuff that's been going on social media, because I feel like Franks has grown mentally since last year. Um, when you look at games and you see a mistake that he's done, you would automatically think that will snowball into something else. And that will keep going and going and going. The loss to Kentucky, for instance, would have maybe affected Franks more last season. That doesn't affect him now as much. He's able to kind of keep himself together. You can see in Mississippi State, Florida was coming from behind all the game. And he was not forcing things like he did against Kentucky. And that was only a few games of few games to go he's progressed since that Kentucky game he wasn't forcing the throws he's not doing the things that he did last year where he's taking the sack or getting a five-yard loss in the run no he's becoming more of a willing runner he's not becoming frantic and forcing things out he's taking time he's, he needs to get better at going through his progressions Dan Mullen has said that you can tell he needs to get better in those situations but he's not throwing the ball and being reckless about it um, he's becoming a better game manager um, he's not going to be throwing lights out. That's going to take time. But I still see he's becoming a better game manager, and I think that has to do with the mental gains that he's done. Uh, David, when we talked earlier this week for the story that we're going to have in Gators territory, I remarked that you know during the Mississippi State game during warmups, he walked out in the field with his earbuds on, took it off just to hear the, the cowbells. And he didn't look like he was scared of them. He didn't look that there was – you know, he was nervous about it. He simply looked around and smiled and then put back his earbuds. That shows a guy that's enjoying, having fun. That's something he didn't do last year. He wasn't having fun. He was stressed. He was forcing things. Things weren't going his way. He was trying to make it happen. He was trying to lob and make those long passes happen. But instead, you know, now he's just trying to move the chains. He's trying to manage the game in order for them to stay on the field longer, get his defense, it off the field so they can recuperate, be able to rest. And that's the difference from Felipe Franks last year and Felipe Franks now. I think one position group, of course, that's helping him out. I, I, won't, I won't even go wide receivers. I won't go tight ends. I'll go with the offensive line. And much like Franks, are they perfect? Nope, not by any means. But there's another position group that we can see getting better week by week. Really taking on the coaching from John Hevesy. You know, when he was hired at Florida, it was he's not going to go – busted on the recruiting trail. He, but he's going to go get the guys that Florida has, these five starting offensive linemen, this, the two, three more that they need for some quality depth that they have right now, and he'll build something and mold these guys into a serviceable, off, serviceable offensive line. There were some questions of, of what's going to happen after the first couple games, and you know, they weren't running the ball that we thought they would. would. And now – we start seeing, along with Felipe Franks, this is another position group that is also getting better week by week. I still have questions of the defensive line. Not entirely so, but I do see the progress. Um, Martez Ivy, for once, um, you know, he has had some good games. He has come out of fire, um, you know, during most of those games, having maybe one bad, you know, a couple of really bad missed assignments. Um, but he has had some good games. Against Mississippi State, he had a very good game. Um, Nick Buchanan didn't have any glaring mistakes against Mississippi State compared to the games previously. Um, Fred Johnson still needs to get better. I think mm -hmm. um, he's one guy that has missed a couple assignments. Again, even against Mississippi State, you saw the jitters when it comes to those cowbells, those crowd noises. He had a couple of false start penalties. Um, I think the offensive line still needs to improve. So because whenever it comes to the offense moving the ball well, it just happens to be that those penalties are against the offensive line, and that ruins any momentum of the offense. We all remember Jaywan Taylor's hold that brought back that long game in the offense against Mississippi State. That didn't cost them the game against Mississippi State. But against LSU this week, you never know. I expect a close game again. So that call could have cost it could cost them against LSU. So I think still the mental aspect of the offensive line still needs to improve. But again, I'm not saying that they haven't improved. They have shown a little bit of progress. But against mentally, I still see them kind of having to go over that hurdle. And then also depth-wise, that's the one that's the one group on the offense that I feel in the depth-wise, if there's an injury in that first team. They, they have kind of a drop-off between the first team mm -hmm. and the second team. Yeah, and the worry there is Brett Hagee just cannot seem to, to stay healthy, and now with a, with a cast on his arm as well, you know, who knows what, what they're going to be getting out of him anytime soon.
saw him with a cast in his arm, and just as things looked so good for him, I actually thought, you know, maybe he's going to be the new center. I, I wanted to be in the center. And then he has a cast on his arm, and, you know, he, it's to be determined of how long that, that will affect him. All right, Jackie, we'll move to the other side of the ball and we talk about transformations and probably the biggest transformation since, uh, of course, the Kentucky game, the 300 yards given up rushing, uh, the linebackers missing gaps, missing assignments, uh, missing some tackles. You know, missing some tackles still kind of rearing its head just a little bit. But, you know, they're, when you go against Mississippi State, uh, I, I, you know, I probably saw that more against Tennessee than I did actually Mississippi State going back and looking at it. But this is a – as far as what side of the ball has made a, the, the biggest transformation uh, so far this season is because they, they went from getting run all over by Kentucky and now being what, what we look like a vintage Florida defense in, in the last couple of weeks and really showing up and really shutting down the Mississippi State offense. Nick Fitzgerald couldn't get anything going in the second half. The whole running game couldn't get going in the second half. Florida really dominated that game from halftime on. And – it really just starts, I think, up front. They've unearthed Jacopoli. He's kind of a guy we've looked at as, hey, this, he's going to be this breakout star. And this probably was the second season in a row where we went into labeling him that breakout star, and now it's actually coming to fruition. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of people forgot how bad this defense was last year. Um, so I, I think a lot of people expected more off the bat with Todd Grantham. Um, but then – you know, they didn't give him enough time to really put them in the best positions. And I think you saw that how each game they become better. And also, also you got to take in consideration against the Kentucky. They, they did not have CC Jefferson or David Reese. When you don't have two vocal leaders like that, that's going to affect them. Um, David Reese is kind of like the quarterback of the defense. If you think about it, he's the type of guy that will line you up in the correct position and having a guy like that is crucial when you're going after, you know, a dual threat quarterback and one of the best running backs in the SEC. So, yeah, so I, I see the development, but also the personnel is better. Um, and one thing that I realized too, is because of all the extra game reps that some of these guys were able to get by having games like Charleston Southern and Colorado State was they were able to create, a good depth at the defensive line one and two deep. Now I feel more confident in the defensive line compared to what I was maybe in the beginning of the season. That was just an area where I was questioning if they had good quality depth because of lack of experience with some of these guys, they have that now. And I feel more confident in those guys and guys like Adam Schuler is popping up because they've been able to get those reps. He's such an aggressive guy. He's got grit. I think Dan Holland called him nasty. <laughs> and then that nastiness is what they lacked last year. That's what they need as guys in the defensive line. And because he's so nasty and still got those grit, that kind of goes to the other guys in the defensive line. I think the defense has done so much um, improvement from last year. Also, just because Todd Grantham has put guys in better positions to succeed. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson last year, you know, was always missing his tackles. Now, okay, not always, but he was missing his tackles quite frequently. Now at the star position, that is his position. I've, I think I've, I've seen him improve vastly in his tackling abilities. He does. He's had a couple of missed tackles this year, but nothing too glaring compared to last year because that is the position where he can succeed. Um, and you've got to give it to Todd Grantham too. In the secondary, they lack the numbers. They, they really, really do. But I wouldn't tell that against Mississippi State. Granted, C.J. McWilliams and Brian Edwards were – kind of tacked by Mississippi State at certain points. They realized that they could throw the balls to those guys, and they were there was a weakness of Florida against Mississippi State in the first half. But second-half adjustments by Grantham allow Florida to keep Mississippi State to just 43 yards. So that's the difference between the defense is, yes, they succeeded in developing each talent better, putting them in positions to succeed, but the adjustments that Grantham has done in this defense, making sure that those guys and the pieces are in a better position for them to succeed is the biggest difference, I think. Yeah, I think you get this pressure that we saw against Mississippi State with that defensive front. You can be young in the secondary because it's going to help those guys so much with, exactly. the, with that pressure against those quarterbacks uh, time and time again. Uh, Jack, who's been um, – I mentioned Jacopolite, and maybe he's the answer here, but who would you say the biggest surprise player of the year so far? Hmm. On on defense or any side of the ball? Any side of the ball. Um, you know what? I, I wouldn't say he's a surprise. Um, but Freddie Swain is one guy that I think has been such a 
having such an eye-opening season. Um, last year, I thought either Josh Hammond or Freddie Swain was going to have a breakout year. I thought one of those guys was going to step in. But the last staff never put those guys in positions to succeed. Um, Freddie Swain moving to the slot has been an epiphany for him. Um, he's such a great guy on offense and on special teams. I think he's one of the guys that not necessarily has surprised me, but has been one of my MVPs for Florida. Um, whenever, you know, Florida needs to move the chains on offense, Freddie Swain is there to give you a couple of those yards to make it not second and long, but have it in a position where they can maybe run the ball on second down because they've got to be able to shorten the yardage. Um, but also on special teams, you know, their return game is a, is so different from last year. They're, they're able to return the ball and move the ball. I, can, I couldn't imagine they were able to return punts this year. Um, but yeah, they're stressing special teams has really changed this team. And Freddie Swain is one of those guys that kind of grabbed the change and kind of ran with it. Um, I think he's one of the guys that bought into Dan Mullen and is showing. I think he's probably one of the most improved players and one of the players that has stands, kind of stands out to me. All right, Jackie, uh, one last question here before uh, I let you go. So thank you so much for joining me here uh, on Gators Breakdown. Of course, this is you know the biggest home game of the year and Florida's bringing in a ton of recruits to try and show off the atmosphere of the swamp. Got a top five LSU. I mean, look, they were coming in for LSU anyway, but now LSU's top, you know, top five ranked team. Uh, they're going to get to see the full atmosphere of the swamp. Uh, who are some of the, 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 the big names that are showing up? And if anybody's going to pop this weekend, who's the closest one that could be doing it? All right. So, okay. So there's going to be a lot of guys coming <laughs> in for this game. Um, so let's talk some of the official visitors. Cause that's some of the guys. Yeah, that just, it's just some of the highlights there. Yeah. So we got Elijah Higgins. He's the wide receiver um, from Texas, but he has ties to Florida. He's coming in. It's a Florida Stanford battle between uh, for him. Um, Ohio State's sort of in there. I think Stanford is the main competitor for Florida. He's a high academic kid. Um, Stanford, if you know they come in and says yes, you're able to enter into our class. Your your admissions is great. That's that's the school you need to watch out for. I think Florida's doing well right now with him, but he's the type of guy that I think you need to watch out for. The other guys are um, Byron Young and Lewis Sign and Jaden Hill. Jaden Hill is a commitment, and I think they have a long way to go with both Lewis Sign and Byron Young. I think those two guys, although they're visiting, I think they're trending to other teams right now. Um, Byron Young is committed to Alabama, and I think that's. I don't think Florida has enough yet to really flip them. Um, I think they need to do a lot more in order to do that. And honestly, an LSU game, winning that against a top five opponent, you never know what will happen. You know, I always say winning cures all your worries in recruiting. So if they continue winning, you never know. Um, as far as any commitment watches, I think you have to look at a couple guys in the 2020 class. Um, I don't know if they would, you know, pop necessarily this weekend. But, you know, they could pop a couple of days later. Um, I think you have, like, uh, Jackie Douglas, a Chester Kimbrough's, Kimbrough's team, teammate um, from 7-on-7. Seven seven. He's going to be visiting. He could be a guy that, you know, makes his decision. Or Jordan Simmons, he's a running back visiting this week. He's also in the 2020 class. He could pop. Um, so I think more likely than not, I think a 2020 class guy would, you know, commit. I don't expect uh, Lloyd Summerall or Keon Zipperer who are coming on official visits. I don't expect them to pop. I think those are going to be – Sorry, guys. I think this is going to be a long <laughs> way before they uh, before they commit. But good news, it's unofficial visits for those two. So if they do drag along, they can still take an official visit to Florida. All right, Jackie Fantulli, uh, uh, kind of uh, Gators territory. What you guys got going on there with the, with the big game coming up? And uh, just a little shout-out for you guys at the Rivals Network there. Yeah, we've got several things. We always have weekly features. Right now we have behind enemy lines up, so we get a look at LSU and you know what they have, what changes they have under Ed Orgeron. Um, also, we have, you know, we have David coming on to our show on, um, on the beat, which will be posted on Thursday on Gators Territory. Obviously, we have a lot of recruiting notes on all the visitors. There's over 20 to 25 visitors that we have on our site right now. We have updates on each one to see where they're trending where we think they're going as of right now and what Florida can do to kind of switch momentum. Awesome. Hey, Jackie Franchuli, thank you so much for joining me here on Gators Breakdown, and we'll definitely do it again. Yeah, thanks for having me, David. All right. Bernie Miller, are you there? Yes, I am. How's it going? Good. How about you? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. You too. Uh, thank, thank you for uh, joining me here on, on this to, to, to get the LSU side of things for this big-time matchup. 
Oh, not a problem, man. Glad to be here. Sorry, my lighting's not very good. Oh, you're fine. It, you're fine. It, it, it's on YouTube, but uh, the podcast version gets gets the most hits anyway. So. Oh, good to hear. Good to hear. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, of course, you know, big game. Uh, I think a lot of people are surprised to see LSU 5-0 right now, especially with the, the Miami and, and the Auburn wins. Um, you know, of course, down here in, in Florida, we were really kind of following that uh, LSU-Miami game pretty close. A lot of the Joe Burrow storyline because you know there might have been some Florida interest at one time, and also hey look we we, we don't like Miami, so yeah we we had some interest in that game. Uh, so five and zero right now um, with, with the Tigers. How surprising is it around there? Definitely a little surprising. I think I think Ed Ogeron even said he he'd be lying if he said he predicted this good of a start overall. I mean there were a lot of issues going into this season, and even more than issues, there were just question marks. I mean. There was Ed Ogeron leading basically every hot seat list in the country. I mean, and then there was, the, uh, you know, you have a grad transfer quarterback that you know nothing, you've never really seen the game. You have an offensive line that is maybe seven deep, and it's just a very thin offensive line that even the starters you weren't so sure about. The receivers were theoretically talented, but none of them had proven it in a game. I mean, they didn't have any running backs that they were really psyched about. And all of a sudden, this offense, I mean, the offense is still wishy-washy, of course. It's not some dominant 75th, I think, in efficiency. But they're slowly starting to get together, and they're making big plays at the right time. And I think that's been the biggest surprise. And just, I mean, the, no one is shocked they would have won one of those two games, right? You would think, okay, that'd be about right. But winning both, dominating Miami the way they did, and then, I mean, they should not have probably won that Auburn game. I mean, they were down two scores. They were getting outplayed in most ways, and they just made the plays at the right time, which I know it's a corny way of talking about football, but they did. I mean, Joe Burrow had two incredible drives when the game mattered, and that's what you look at a quarterback for. This defense, despite losing one of the best pass rushers in the country in Caleb on Chason, I mean, they're still top 10 in the country. So, I mean, it's, it's surprising in a lot of ways just – I think mainly because of how they're winning these games. Right, Brody Miller from NOLA.com, LSU beat reporter uh, there. So, Brody, it seems like there's something different on offense so far uh, th- this year from uh, offensive quarter Steve Insminger. Now, how's the transition again <laughs> been so, uh, so far uh, back to Insminger as offensive coordinator? Yeah, I'd say that's probably the biggest storyline, really, when looking at this season to connect him and Joe Burrow together. I mean – this was always going to be a different-looking offense just out of necessity. I mean, they didn't have the offensive line to be some running power. They didn't have any Darius Geises or Leonard Fournette's this year. It was always going to be a little different, especially with some good receivers. But, I mean, yeah, no, they've they've been true to what they said. They're running RPOs, and they're, they're spreading the ball out. They're doing four. We've even seen the occasional five wide receiver set, which for LSU football is kind of shocking. And, yeah, I mean, and, and like I said, their efficiency is not great. They're not – some world beater offense and they probably never will be this season but what they're doing is they're just Steve Ensminger is doing a really good job making adjustments in games and adjusting the situations and seeing what the defense is giving and and just kind of learning how to manage a football game and I think the Ole Miss game was probably the first time we actually really got to see what Steve Ensminger wants out of his offense granted I think we all know Ole Miss is a pretty objectively bad defense so you have to take everything we're saying here with a grain of salt but it was just the idea of finally seeing it in action, that this is what Steve Ensminger wants. He wants to air it out. He wants to take eight shots per game down the field. And he wants – I mean, you saw nine different receivers catch the ball. I mean, it was it was what they wanted. And I think, I think Steve Ensminger would have been doing this a lot sooner if the offensive line was in better shape. So the fact that they can even show it a little bit is, I guess, optimistic times for LSU. And uh, of course, you you mentioned the Ole Miss game, and that is Burrow's you know best game so far. Coming off of that game, uh, eighteen to twenty five, two hundred ninety two yards passing, three touchdowns. Also ran for another one uh, when he also ran for ninety six yards. So I don't think we'll see him run uh, a whole lot. But is it something they may start implementing just to you know keep some defenses honest right now? Yeah, well, I'll 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 give him credit. Ed Ogeron's been very honest about his thoughts on this. Uh, okay. Steve, he basically said on Monday, he's like Steve Ensminger. If it was up to him, he'd be running Joe Burrow even more. And Joe <laughs> Burrow wants to run. I mean, it's working. It worked more than ever against Ole Miss, but it's worked a few other times this season. But Ed Ogeron said, "Hey, I'll admit, I am a little apprehensive about it. I'm the one kind of stopping us doing this even more than we're doing it because, I mean." They have two scholarship quarterbacks, and right. and I think and Miles Brennan is, I mean, there's a reason they brought Joe Burrow in. Let's put it that way. So they, I mean, they they do not want Joe Burrow getting hurt, and he's already taking some massive hits this season. 
and and the fact that he's kind of getting up is kind of shocking and you wonder when it's going to come back to bite them but for now it's working uh, of course you know the the run game isn't the the big names we're used to fournette and guys but what's that group bring to the table yeah, I'll be the first to admit I was uh, proven completely wrong on that. I wrote several stories basically <laughs> saying that, hey, there's no great running backs. Uh, I mean, hey, they might be okay, but they're not going to really ever dominate. And Nick Brosette has been a genuinely a, you know, good running back in the SEC. He's not a Geiser Fournette, but not many are. Uh, I mean, he gives you that kind of classic zone running back. You know, he's kind of shifty, quick, and can make that one cut and burst through the hole. Uh, you know, he's just a balanced back who's going to be efficient. He's going to get those, you know, four or five yards per carry. And then you got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who, you know, was a little more quiet the first few games. He's a small, kind of stocky guy who just has a lot of burst and is very kind of mobile and whatnot. Um, you know, he's a different kind of guy. And he, the last two games, has been pretty dominant for them, I think averaging six yards per carry the last two games. You know, I think they, they have a little bit of a change of pace there. You know, you got Edwards-Hilaire is also a little more active in the passing game and whatnot. I mean, neither of them are ever going to be your 30-carry-a-game guy, but they're just solid running backs who are good at taking what's given to them. Probably the – I would say besides Burrow right now, the, the biggest storyline for LSU is this offensive line. Yes. and Five different combinations so far starting games here. And uh, originally, Ed Orgeron come out Monday in his uh, press conference there and said that sophomore center uh, Lloyd uh, Cushenberry was very questionable, but then a day later says he looks good to go. Uh, he may also get the uh, left tackle um, – uh, is my same his name Sadiq? Charles? Sadiq, correct, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he has a good chance of playing against the Gators now. So with those two likely to play, what's the outlook of this unit's performance against Florida? I, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a great question. And I think even at full strength, it's always it's not going to be a great offensive line. You know, I think at even full strength, it's probably, you know, a B-plus B, B offensive line. But I give them credit because the offensive line, James Craig, Coach James Craig and, the, and Steve Ensminger, they've been really creative with how they use these guys and their weaknesses. But, yeah, I mean, even at full strength, they're – it's it's limited you know they're not great in pass protection and things like that they're not physically the dominant forces some other some past lsu teams have had but um and they'll still be without garrett brumfield this week at left guard who is kind of probably the smartest offensive lineman in that group and he's definitely the leader the one senior you know you're not, not going to have him for another week and maybe even next week but yeah no this is the healthiest that ojan said today on the teleconference it's the healthiest as healthy as we've ever been on that line so if you, having sadiq charles back at left tackle is the most important thing one of the most important things i think for them that gives them some a, just a solid competent pass, pass protector and then lloyd cushenberry at center i mean we always thought he'd play i think o was being a little um just kind of cautious on monday but, I mean, he is the guy making all the calls, and they do not have any depth at center. I mean, oh. true freshman Cole Smith, who is just, you know, physically not there yet, and he seems like he's confident, knows what he's doing, just not very physically ready yet. So if they would have lost Lloyd Cushenberry, I mean, that, that's the biggest loss I think else you could have right now. So, I mean, in general, things are all right. And one, if you're looking for benefits out of this whole struggle of the first five games in that offensive line, it's that, They've had to shuffle so many guys, and we're about to see our six different starting combination. So that means a lot of younger guys are getting more experience, and I think that's been one kind of silver lining in this is that your Donovan Campbells and your Chase and Hines and your agent and your Bedard Chaoris, guys who weren't quite ready, suddenly they're holding their own in the SEC, and you know they're still probably you don't want them playing a ton, but but they're they're improving at least so that if another guy goes down, you have options. Brody Miller, the LSU beat reporter for NOLA.com, joining us here on Gators Breakdown as we move to the other side of the ball. And Brody, Devin White just might be one of the best defensive players in the country. Flies to the ball. He tries to hurt people when he gets there. A really explosive linebacker. And you mentioned it earlier, but you know Gator fans may not remember that Caleb Von Chasen was lost for the season. So has White's performance helped make up a, a bit for losing Chasen? Because I mean, right now, leads the team in tackles with 44 three quarterback hurries, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, second in tackles for loss, and, and, and three pass breakups to go along with that. I mean, this guy's just everywhere on the field right now. Yeah, Devin White's the one guy that I'm not afraid to just admit I have fun watching him play football. You know, <laughs> like I try not to bring this. I've got to cover these things objectively, <laughs> but he's just fun to watch. He is everywhere. You know, and I, it's fun watch. And I think one thing we're really seeing out of the chase on injury is just how creative Dave Aranda is getting with that defense. 
And I, I wrote up a piece this week about just the different things they're trying to do to create a pass rush because you're losing a guy that you can't replace in the pass rush. And you're seeing Devin Whiteboard line up on the outside some. And you're seeing him line up in all these different places. So, I mean, he's a guy who's just kind of the rock of that defense. He's the guy making all the calls and calling everything out. And he almost never comes off the field. I mean, he's essential. But if you're looking for the guy who's probably stepped up the most without Chase on, it's safety Grant Delpit, who has been, I mean, the biggest breakout star by by far of this LSU team. He was always a pretty solid safety as a freshman. He always had a good amount of potential. But all of a sudden, he's a guy who might be a top 10 pick in a year. So, I mean, I don't think anyone saw this kind of season out of Grant Delpit coming. I mean, he's a guy who leads the team with, I think, three and a half sacks. He has several more tackles for loss than that. I mean, he's just everywhere. He's a safety who operates as a safety, a nickel corner, basically a defensive end half the time because he lines up and he's sick. He's a pretty tall, lanky, long guy, and he, he rushes like an end. I mean, he's their best pass rusher without Jason. So, I mean, I think Delpit and White together are just the two that are really making all of this manageable. And I still think there are, there are issues, and I think eventually a team will exploit those pass rush issues more than they've been right now. But it's, uh, but it, it's been impressive watching those guys step up. And we keep we, we we hear it year after year DBU and it's a, it's, a, it's about uh, you know I don't, uh, nobody's ever going to agree on it so I think we know that part of it so yeah, yeah. Uh, you know Ohio State of course they'll throw their name in there too as far as that goes but but one guy who fits into that standard is Greedy Williams for sure and, and living up to that standard of a great LSU defensive back absolutely and he's just so long and he's so just kind of he can he can just stay on top of people and you know even when he gets beat by an inch he can catch up that inch because of that length i mean he's been you know he's just one of those guys who you can put him on anybody and he'll hold their own and you know after the louisiana tech game i mean they threw pretty well on him i think you know close to 300 yards passing on him and it was i mean not greedy himself but the whole secondary and it was kind of a red flag for this defense and they were that was the whole week talking about these issues with oh we just got beat one-on-one by louisiana tech you know and now we're about to play Ole miss and I, in hindsight i think a lot of that was just them trying to you yeah. know get them jacked up for this matchup but they did get beat and then they go up against Ole miss and hold them to 180 passing yards basically and, and aj brown you know had catches but he was never really a threat you know and just i mean great greedy williams is obviously the guy but teams are, are going to kind of avoid him a little bit it, it, the hit or miss ones have been Christian Fulton and um, and Kelvin Joseph, two kind of younger guys. Mm-hmm. Kelvin Joseph, a true freshman. You know, they're guys who have some games where they look phenomenal and some games where they really struggle, Tech being the main example. But there have been a few where they've had their errors. So I think Ole Miss was probably the biggest growing game for guys like that. The, the Kerry Vincents of the world, those two as well. Just, you know, showing that they're developing as well on top of Greedy because teams are going to try to avoid Greedy. Brady Miller joining us here. A couple more thoughts from him before we uh, let him go here. Uh, we go, okay, so we know these coaches are in much different scenarios than they were last year when they faced each other. And, and Mullen you know, led a Mississippi State offense that, that shredded LSU before LSU kind of found their way uh, the, the rest of the season, kind of starting with uh, you know a win at Florida uh, in the swamp last year. Uh, what have you seen? I saw you you had your article on, on NOLA.com letting LSU fans know some things about Florida, but what have you seen so far for, from Dan Mullen at Florida that maybe sets up well versus his LSU team? Well, yeah, um, I, I'd say one of the things is that, you know, I mean, Dan Mullen's offenses, as as you are well aware, are just they're efficient. He knows where to play where you're not. And I think it's a fun matchup with, with Dave Aranda, who also is so good at adjusting. And, we, you know, we talked to Dan Mullen on the teleconference today about what he sees out of Aranda and just kind of because he's one of the few guys who flat out dominated Aranda last year and that doesn't really happen too often and he was just kind of saying that you know Dave there's very certain things he likes doing and so if you can figure out the ways around that you can kind of have success but in terms of what um, Dan Mullen's doing at Florida so far I mean Todd Grantham deserves most a ton of credit for what he's done with that defense from my perspective I mean, it, Todd Grantham's, I feel like I always say Todd Grantham's just the best in his first year with the team. He's so good at just <laughs> kind of changing a culture there, but he doesn't stay long. But uh, but no, I mean, just the aggressiveness. There's already a top 10 defense in the S&P Plus, and they're just, you're seeing that aggressiveness, and that's something that Joe Burrow in this passing game has struggled against pressure because that offensive line's an issue. So I think that's the main thing under Mullen at Florida this year. I'm seeing that LSU's probably worried about is just that aggressive defense and all the pressure they can put on LSU because that's, LSU's biggest weakness as a team. Hi, right, Brady. I'm not asking you to give a prediction or anything here, but <laughs> uh, just to kind of see, you know, maybe how this game plays out. You know, I see a, a pretty low-scoring game where you know both defenses right now, if it, the way it looks on the surface, is you know, have some advantage. 
uh, over the opposing offense. You know, turnover margin right now is you know Florida plus nine. That's second in the nation. That was shoes plus seven. That's tied for fifth in the nation. With those stats and how these teams are, are forcing turnovers, I think these coaches are really going to try and take care of the ball, be pretty conservative uh, with their game plans. Is that is that how you see it as well? Definitely in terms of game plan. I mean, yeah, and no one's as good at that damn Mullen has kind of run that efficient offense and keeping it low scoring when he needs to and being situational. Um, I mean, I, I have a gut feeling it's going to be a low scoring game. I have a gut feeling Dan Mullen's going to have a good game plan here and probably take a little bit advantage of those pass rush issue, issues and whatnot, just the outside issues. Um, I think the most interesting thing to follow will be can Florida create turnovers on Joe Burrow and LSU? Mm-hmm. You know, no one really has, but if there were be were a team that could do it, it would be Florida. Um, I do. I, I consider this game a toss up in every sense. You know, I, I think a lot of LSU fans think think it's a crime that LSU is only a three point favorite, and I'm saying this is an underrated Florida team. It's in Florida. I think it's my gut is probably leaning towards Florida in this one. I just because you know. There are a lot of flaws on LSU that just haven't been exploited yet because because of good coaching and because of the talent. But eventually some of these inefficiency on offense and things like that might come back to bite them. So, I mean, I think the thing it's gonna all going to come down to is Todd Grantham versus that the LSU offense. Yeah, so I, I really eager, I'm really eager just to see how – if there's any success running the ball for, for either yeah. team because I think they're not going to ask their quarterbacks to go out and do a lot. <laughs> I, I, I really don't. So if you can get Jordan Scarlett, LaMichael P. Ryan, Damian Pierce going, or that stable that LSU's bringing in, they're going to try and make it easier on these quarterbacks and you know probably try and hit a, a couple big plays off of play action. But uh, I really do see with, with these defenses and being able to turn the ball, I know I wouldn't want to test them too many times. <laughs> <laughs> and it's worth mentioning that some teams have had success running the ball up the middle against uh, against LSU. People like to talk about this front seven and how this defense is like this classic stout run-stopping defense, but but hey, I mean, there have been some openings. I mean, Ole Miss beat them on a few counters for some big gains. Auburn did the same. I mean, I could totally see it. Florida and Dan Mullen having a good game running the ball on them. And also, I want to see just how Florida bounces back after that emotional win versus uh, Mississippi State. You know, LSU had a pretty easy time with with, with, with Ole Miss uh, for for all intents and purposes there. Uh, so, you know, emotional game. How does Florida bounce back? Is the first, and I, I went ahead and said it in my earlier podcast this week. The next step for Florida and Dan Mullen, you, know, you went and got a big win, but we haven't had a big win at home in a long time. So, the swamp's going to be a, a rocking place for the fans this coming week. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, Brody. Hey, man. Thank you so much uh, for, for joining me here on Gators Breakdown. Uh, you, you know those LSU Tigers. And uh, you guys got – are you coming into town or you guys got – I'll you be got staying in Jacksonville. <laughs> okay. I, I live in Jacksonville right now it, too. So uh, it's uh, all uh, good. So, I'll right, hey. up for food recommendations. There we go. There we go. Sounds good. All right, Brody. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Take care. All right. Take care. Brody Miller from NOLA.com there. A lot of good LSU information um, bringing us here uh, on that. This big game in the Swamp this week, number five, LSU, coming to the Swamp to take on the Gators. And uh, I'm just ready for it. You know, this is a game I I don't really know how it's going to play out. It's kind of been the last couple weeks uh, have turned out that way. Going to Tennessee on the road and how would they react for their first road game and then how would they react going against Dan Mullen's former team? And this is something new now since the Gators have kind of gotten things turned around. It's coming back at home, playing a big-time matchup, playing a big-time game. How, how, how did they bounce off the win uh, over Mississippi State, I think, is uh, pretty pretty, pretty important uh, for, for, for the psyche of this team uh, and for the next step of, of this team. If they can do it here, they, I think it lights a spark. That psyche just starts getting – the confidence just starts getting – even more ingrained in this team, I think, and, and buying into what Dan Mullen is, say, is saying, and, and vice versa uh, with these. I think these coaches buying into these players as well, and, and figuring out what they can do, getting creative with them, trusting them to to, to make some plays. You know, I think that's another big thing. I, I, I like what I've seen so far from 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 Dan Mullen and Felipe Franks. There's a, there's some trust from Dan Mullen towards Felipe Franks as well, and I think that's pretty good to see there uh, week by week is how much Dan Mullen trusts Felipe Franks to, to go out there and make some throws and, and make some passes here. Um, I know a lot of people are going to uh, wonder uh, who, who I'm picking, and hey, look, I'm, I'm going to ride the wave. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick the Gators here uh, to, to get a 
2017 victory here. Another three. I'm predicting another three point win here. I think I did it last week too. No, it was 27 23 is what I picked last week. Florida over Mississippi State. Uh, didn't get quite near those points, but uh, there <laughs> I did. I did pick the upset. So I'm going with it again. As I said, you know, uh, I'll say it. I'll say it again. If I see things close, if I see see them pretty equal, I'll let the bias take over. I'll go with the Gators. But I do think there's some matchups here that the Gators can take. I, I, I'm not sure how much Florida can run the screen passes that we saw a lot of last week. I really think these LSU defensive backs are going to be in the face of the Florida receivers. They're going to press them. They're going to be in much better position to stop those type of plays than what Mississippi State uh, was. Mississippi State didn't really adjust to that very well either, and I think LSU will adjust to that. And uh, they, they have the physical type of defensive backs that can go out there and, and, and kind of test that. So if Florida's going to try and run those plays, it's going to be imperative that those the, the, the tight ends and the wide receivers that are out wide blocking for those wide receivers catching them. You you got to block. You got to get that first guy. You got to be able to go get some yards because that's uh that's pretty much a wasted play. You you start throwing it way out there and you know you don't get anything out of it. It's basically an extended run play uh, there, but it, it does make things easier for Felipe Franks. I don't think they're going. That's 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 what gets me so much from how much they'll go away. From those screen passes, I don't think we'll see as many as we saw last week. Don't get me wrong. LSU will be better prepared for it. But also, um, you know, LSU is going to want to make Franks beating him over the middle and not out wide with those easy passes. They want to test his arm. They want to test his decision-making. They want to test to see if he can fit in those tight windows. And that, he did a good job of that against Mississippi State. A lot of those on third downs, a lot of those slants over the middle converting there. So, I really think you know this is going to be a chess match. Can Dan Mullen can Dan Mullen spread them out wide and test them over the middle, or will he kind of you know if Florida can get the run game going, then then they can start going outside in that pass game. You know they'll, they'll shrink those defenders in, make them play more in the box. And uh, I really think first and foremost, and you know you can say this for every game, you know you got to get the run game going to, to 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 for the offense to take off. But I really do see it here just because of the style of defense LSU can play and what they're going to be asking Felipe Franks to try and beat them to to uh, what what the defense would want Felipe Franks to to try and do and to to beat them. So. Get that run game going. Get some play, maybe some play action deep. We'll get that run game going. Bring those defenders in. Then you can start testing them outside like you did uh, last week with a lot of those wide receiver screens and, and, and getting the ball outside. It made Brody, you, you heard Brody mentioned that uh, Ole Miss had some success running some type of counter plays against this LSU defense. And hey, look, we've started seeing that play installed in this Dan Mullen offense as well. We saw the Tony Wildcat counter last week that that busted for. I think what, around a 25-yard game last week, and we've seen Scarlett run that play uh, a good bit too. The, the, wide, the running back counter. So, if you know, if Florida has seen that on film, I'm sure they have there. there Maybe something else they could take advantage of uh, in, in those ty- style of play calls in, in the run game. But I think week after week, we could say, "Hey, look, Kadarius Tony, eight to ten touches a game. I don't care how. <laughs> Just get that man the ball. If you got the plays there, that, look, Florida only ran." Three drives in the first half last week against Mississippi State. Uh, so you know if you get the ball more, Kadarius Tony needs the ball more. And I, I think it's I, I think that's uh, a pretty good game plan and a pretty simple game plan when it all comes down to it. So I'm picking Florida, seventeen or no 20, 20, 17, 20 to seventeen. It's gonna be my final prediction there. Twenty seventeen Gators, uh, and um, there we go. Uh, I think they can get it done uh, when it's all. Said and done and set and light a spark and Gator Nation. Let the swamp go crazy uh, for one one big home game for the first time in a while. So let's take a look around the SEC before I let you go here on Gators Breakdown. Pretty busy week. Some good games going on around the conference, especially in the SEC East there where we might can get a little more separation and figure out some more, more about some of these teams around here. But uh, kicking off at noon, Alabama at Arkansas. I don't think that'd be much of a game there. So another noon game, you know, maybe if Alabama sleepwalking a little bit, but that doesn't happen to, to that team all too often. So they're usually ready to play uh, no matter who the opponent is. Also at noon, Missouri and South Carolina, that could be a pretty much elimination game for, for the loser there. South Carolina already has two conference losses. They cannot afford this one uh, here. Missouri, their only conference loss against Georgia, uh, pretty much, uh, you know, it's going to be Kentucky or, or Georgia or Florida right now. You know, Missouri only has one conference loss too. So South Carolina definitely can't afford another loss here. Uh, but 
How do they bounce back? Looking disappointed against Kentucky last week with Missouri coming to town. So Locke versus Bentley uh, there, and we'll see uh, if South Carolina can bounce back. Of course, 3.30, LSU in Florida. That's the CBS national game. 4 o'clock, Louisiana Monroe, Ole Miss. Not much to look at there. 7 o'clock, Kentucky and Texas A&M on ESPN. Kentucky undefeated. Going to A&M, where their only two losses are Clemson and Alabama. Close loss versus Clemson. A blowout loss against Alabama. Uh, this is a big test for Kentucky here. I think Kentucky matches up pretty good here uh, with, with that Texas A&M team. Uh, I think Kentucky keeps it rolling. Uh, I originally thought was thinking A and M may win this game, but I think Kentucky keeps it going there and keeps their magical season uh, going for a little while. Also, uh, in the night cap, uh, uh, two seven thirty games, Vanderbilt at Georgia on the SEC Network. So can Vandy uh, rally the troops? You know, a couple weeks ago gave Notre Dame a, a test, uh, but since then haven't really looked all too good. Um, lost to Kentucky. And then, uh, right, no, I don't think Venomous played Kentucky yet. There we go. Uh, two losses since then, though. Uh, South Carolina, that's what it was. South Carolina beat them a couple weeks ago, really tore them up, and then they really struggled to get by Tennessee State uh, last week there. So Georgia host Vanderbilt, SEC Network, 7.30. Then also at 7.30, Florida's opponent last week, Mississippi State, host Auburn. It'll be interesting to see how Mississippi State bounces back after that. Can they uh, put a win on the resume after two straight losses to Kentucky and Florida and Auburn? A lot of team, uh, another it's a top ten team that's not getting a lot of love there, uh, where they get uh, things figured out along the, the offense. Jarrett Stidham not really living up to the expectations so far this year uh, that that were placed on him. Uh, and hey, look, that's the uh, their, their one losses LSU, the team that's coming here uh, to the swamp as. Number 22, Gators host number five, LSU Tigers. So, you know, big rivalry game, one of my favorite games to, to attend. It's always fun. It's always competitive. And uh, these fan bases don't like each other too much uh, after the last few years. So uh, we'll kind of we'll see where it goes from there. But I do expect uh, another fun, close game and probably some drama uh, late in the game uh, for, for, for the Gators to get the victory. And hopefully we're leaving the swamp singing is great to be a Florida Gator after a, after a close Gators win or a blowout Gators win. It doesn't matter. I'll take a one point win for all, for all I care. It can be three to two. It doesn't matter. You know, just, just figure out a way to win this game and, and start the, the, the Gator train rolling with all those recruits in town um, visiting this weekend. So uh, guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. You can find me on Twitter at Gator Dave underscore SEC.